Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, Sports Business Believe. My name is Fred Wallen. I presume you know yours. You can always email us, and we hope you do, uh, sportsfred at AOL.com, sportsfred at AOL.com. And we talk about the sports world, the media world here in Southern California and, of course, in Los Angeles. And one of the guys who's been here like forever and has written uh, – for the Daily News, now the Los Angeles Times, the Sports Business Journal, Tom Hofarth with us again. And Tom, welcome again to the show. Thanks for having me, Fred. So let me ask you a question. I was thinking this morning, growing up, there were certain sports writers that I would never miss. And folks, I'm going to give away age here. There were, <laughs> there were papers that came in the morning, and there were actually papers that came in the afternoon. But uh, the point And I is, used to deliver the afternoon papers. There on it my is. Bicycle. See, nobody believes that if they're like if they're under forty. <laughs> on your but bicycle anyways, for the, crying out loud. <laughs> all right. Was there one sports writer out there that Tom Holforth in Los Angeles? Was there one sports writer that you looked up to that you couldn't miss every day, any day? Well, the the king of Los Angeles sports. Writer. First of all, the Los Angeles Herald Examiner was the most interesting and lively sports page to read. But the king of journalism in Los Angeles is Jim Murray. Yeah, I think and a lot, a lot of people. You really can't argue that fact. I mean, uh, just Google that one, kids. <laughs> okay, what, what, what about Duck or Corian? Dougie was, but Dougie was part of the Herald Examiner. He was fun and bombastic and lively, and and you felt like you were actually having a, an experience by reading those guys. Uh, Alan Malamud, I'd always meet at the racetrack. How about Alan? Oh yeah, in same way, and and these guys were like characters at certain point, and the notes on the scorecard was brilliant and it's you know people tried to copy it since then but you just can't do it because it's just a different thing no uh alan's column was twitter before there was twitter it was just all these notes that he would get from different things and and that would add up to a column that made you feel like you were sitting in a booth at uh, the brown derby overhearing somebody at the other booth how long until we don't have everyday newspapers usa today uh is now owned by no longer Gannett alone. It's by a company called New Company, and of course, uh, they forgot to deliver to my house yesterday. Just to, so help me God, but and uh, I started calling at 6:30 in the morning, and they promised me it never came. Anyways, the point is SI, which I never missed, uh, now is going yeah. down next year to 17. I think editions a year, one out every three weeks. Uh, right. Uh, sport, the sporting news no longer exists except on the web. Is that the future? There can be no newspapers here in Southern California or in this country. Well, the people who bought Sports Illustrated kind of revealed where the sports media is today. They bought it basically as a brand name because they want to use it to label things, and they want to bring the brand name into the 21st century, which, it, it, you know, the way things go, okay, I, I get it, but it was just fine where it was. All it needed to do was present long-form writing in a compelling way in a, in a weekly uh, magazine, but the thing that they're going to do with it going forward just seems to be dumbing it down beyond uh, my comprehension. As far as the media goes in general, the newspaper media, um, most people read it on their phone. Wherever they read it, you know, whether it's holding it in your hand and getting your your hands full of ink, or if it's on your phone or your your laptop or whatever, it, it, it's fine because it, it's the interesting part is more people in the world can read what you're writing in the in the you know, 30, 40 years ago, whenever you would write something and it was in that newspaper, that's all you would see it. You, you, you didn't have it circulated past whatever the, whatever the area the paper was being delivered. 
And maybe there were news services. The New York Times had a great news service where it would collect stories from different newspapers and publish them in, in their editions. But it was it, you, you, we've given up um, territory to get more readers, but we haven't monetized it. And that's the problem is there's not very many caretakers who want to take care of media companies, and they're being sold right now like properties. And basically that's what's happened to the L.A. Daily News, the Southern California news group that I used to work for for 30 years has just been laying people off, trickle, 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 until I finally got mine two years ago. But the, but the part that was most frustrating is that it's owned by a hedge fund company that is all interested in just uh, buying the company, stripping it down, taking the property, the, the property it has, and selling off the, the physical properties, and then condensing everything. And, and you lose not just people who are great in the business, but you just you lose a sense of, of community. You lose a sense of loyalty and trust. If you pick up any of the Southern California news group papers right now, the, the Daily News, the Daily Breeze, Long Beach Press-Telegram, where Doug went to work, um, they're, they're just a shell of their former selves, and they're just um, an uh, amalgamation of different stories from different regions all shoved into the same paper. There's, there's, very local, there's, there's very little local news in each one of them. So you come to a point where you have the Los Angeles Times, which is a company I, I'm now freelancing for, it's it's owned by a person who understands that it's a it's a business that you know a, a single ownership is great a family ownership is even better, um, but it's it's kind of a house of cards. If he decides he's kind of done with this, he's losing money and it, this isn't any fun for him. I don't see anybody coming to rescue it. And the LA Times was in a lot of dire straits before he came, and now it's in a, in a decent place to where it's got a new building and it's hiring people again. But it's uh, it's just uh, yeah it. You read these stories again about Gannett merging with Gatehouse and these publishing companies merging with with uh, hedge funds who who have no stewardship at all in the in the whole business, and it's just very demoralizing. But you know, on the other hand, there's been no better time to be in journalism when you want your stuff sent out to people, it, accessible to people. It's just the problem is it's not never been monetized in a correct way, and it's 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 very disappointing and it's demoralizing. In a lot of ways, when I have to go to speak to journalism classes in college campuses and they say, where should I go? What should I be studying? Well, writing, the written word is always going to be an asset to you. It, it's going to be your ticket to somewhere. I just don't know where that is because things change so fast, and it's, it's hard to say what to specialize in um, except to just be flexible and nimble. <laughs> That's the voice of Tom Hofarth, a fine writer for many, many years, L.A. Times, and, of course, uh, as he indicated, many years before that for the uh, uh, L.A. Daily News. And, of course, uh, now the Sports Business Journal, which, uh, of course, uh, a lot of you read, a lot of I read, uh, a lot of people read it. And uh, you're listening to Believe right here on uh, on Sports uh, Business Los Angeles. The name is Fred Wallen. You can email us at sportsfred at AOL.com. And, sportsfred at aol.com and you know speaking about maybe outmoded uh, old man rivers philip rivers 37 years of age seven interceptions the last two games um easton stitch is not going to take his place i don't think this year but are the chargers going to resign him after this year because he is going to be a free agent yeah well i don't i don't pretend to know how the chargers work because i still think that they're 
trying to figure out their way around Los Angeles. But, yeah, you've got to think that at a certain point, not everybody's Tom Brady or Drew Brees. They, they reach a point where they just can't function, and you need to prepare for those days, whether the Chargers are being uh, proactive or not. It doesn't seem like they are. Um, and, and you always think, well, maybe Rivers is going to pull out of it, you know, the next game or something. But it just it, it, he's always had that awkward throwing motion, so it's always made it look like he's, you know, in trouble. But it, the things just aren't sticking like they used to. And it's just uh, it's a, I, I, I hope he gets better. I, I, I've always enjoyed watching him. He's been a great person, great role model for kids. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you do at this point with, if you're the Chargers because they were, in many ways, uh, Super Bowl contender when the season started, and now they're in danger, and, and probably it, they're going to have some games on Sunday Night Football, NBC, that's going to be flexed out because they just don't have the record or the appeal to even uh, have the network want them. They, they have a game in a couple weeks against Minnesota, a home game, which you know was really a road game for them. There'll be so many Viking fans there, <laughs> and it would almost be embarrassing for NBC to televise that as a national game because it's it's kind of an affront to the NFL because. The Chargers, again, you're exposing them for what they lack in Los Angeles, which is a, a home base and, and fans at their own stadium. So that that doesn't look good for them. All right, what about the owner, Dean Spanos? A couple of weeks ago, a lot of people conjecturing the team's going to move. I think somebody said London, but, I mean, they're talking ev- <laughs> they're talking everywhere. And then Dean Spanos says, we're staying in Los Angeles. What do you think, Tom Holforth? Well, if I was a, a potential owner, in the NFL, if I had the money, if I had the Jeff Bezos money that that you know is sitting around, and I want an NFL team like Bezos seems to want to, I I, I love that somebody put this forward. Why doesn't he buy the Chargers from the Spanos, even overpay for it because he knows in the long run he'll he'll make it up, and then just move the team back to San Diego because that's where it belongs. I mean, build your own stadium or work with the NFL to build a stadium there. That's where it belongs. I mean, that's you've uprooted a, a, an avocado tree and you've tried to move it from San Diego to L.A. and it's never taken roots and the fruit's getting raw and it's falling off and it's 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 not good to eat. So why not just kind of put it back to where it belongs, the climate it belongs in, nurture it back to health. The fans are there. The people in L.A. will be actually better fans of the Chargers if they're in San Diego than if they were here. And and, and just try to restore some order because if, if any team belonged in Las Vegas, it's not the Raiders. It's probably the Chargers, if, you know, just because it was it's a whole different place. You can't move to Los Angeles and expect to have any get any sort of beachhead here with everything that's going on. The Raiders are the smart team to find Vegas. But if the Chargers can somehow figure out a way to get back to San Diego, I, I think that's their only escape route at this point. All right, we talk about the Chargers. Let's talk about uh, the Los Angeles Rams and $135 million for Jared Goff. Is Jared Goff worth $135 million? Well, I don't know if the stadium they're building there is worth $5 billion, but you know, there's, there's people who do the numbers and they figure out that that's how it works out. But I think that they kind of jumped too quickly on Goff and, and bought stock in him when – there wasn't a big demand for it, so I don't understand the contract size. And he's going to have to live up to a lot of of that going forward. Um, I don't think he's any less physically or incapable than he was last year. It just seems like the, the people around him aren't, you know, catching the ball and doing what they're supposed to be doing with it. So it's a hard thing to watch Goff and McVeigh try to struggle through <laughs> this offense. I mean, you watched him on on Sunday Night Football against the Bears, and it was it was just painful to watch them, you know, put up 17 points as if that. You know, that's their threshold when a year ago on Monday Night Football against the Chiefs, they were putting up, what, 54 points? And 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 it was an amazing game. It's just an amazing um, switch from year to year to see where the Rams have come. But 
you know, when, when you get that stadium and then you get the Rams and the Chargers in there and then kind of everything is sort of invested in this one place, then you have to see how that sort of works out. Then you can sort of say, well, maybe this investment in golf wasn't really worth it. And maybe, you know, whoever the Chargers have as a quarterback at that point, maybe that's more worth it, you know, looking forward. But the NFL is it's, it's such a weird um, business in itself that uh, I, I, I don't understand how some of the contracts work. And, in fact, when you're – when you're a player in the league and they can void your contract because of an injury, there's nothing guaranteed. That, that to me, just smells wrong from the start. So I, I don't know how these contracts are structured or what's guaranteed or not, but it's just, a, it's just an odd business model for me that, to, to try to explain or even comprehend. In Goff's case, I think a, a major chunk is guaranteed. A lot of the players get a major chunk, but it's not like the NBA, you're right, not like baseball, where the contracts are totally guaranteed, not even close to that. All right, uh, college football. My biggest laugh of last weekend was that after, I think, three straight weekends on the Pac-12 network, which luckily I can't get because I don't, I don't watch UCLA <laughs> football because I have DirecTV, uh, they decided uh, Fox made a brilliant move because Utah's in the top uh, seven or eight uh, as of last week. I think they moved up a little bit. Uh, uh, it was embarrassing for UCLA. I imagine Fox is not going to be th- maybe think twice about putting UCLA on uh, national primetime TV in the future, even against a, a, a club like Utah, which with has only, of course, one loss on the season and could, and could make uh, the tournament at the end of the year if everything uh, falls right. But did you laugh at a 49-3 to game? I mean, you, watching the no, Bruins? No, when it was 7-3 to in the first quarter, I thought it was going to be a decent showing and then you know then it exploded but i think this is the time of year when you've got the top three figured out for the college football playoff and that fourth one is really open for the pac-12 to grab and now now we're trying to see does the pac-12 really want it how bad do they want it so that's why you put utah on a national broadcast and and you show them beat a quality team like ucla so now you show utah has some value And, and even though utah lost earlier this year to usc again that was another national televised game on a friday night so now Utah can, can make a statement. Next, this coming Saturday, we've got Oregon in the ABC National game at 4.30 in prime time. And now we can see what Oregon can do. They're at Arizona State. So it, it, it all builds up to the December 6th uh, Pac-12 championship where, you know, hopefully it's Oregon and, and uh, Utah. Otherwise, if USC is in there instead of Utah, <laughs> then Oregon beating USC again for the Pac-12 title is not such a glorious thing to put on their resume if they're trying to get that fourth spot. I don't think Alabama will end up in the fourth spot. I don't think Georgia will either because just because of the SEC by the end of the season will end up you know, cannibalizing itself. Oklahoma has a better shot um, if the Pac-12 doesn't make it. But um, that number four thing is only the, the only real compelling thing left in college football to figure out. So if the Pac-12 doesn't step up now, and they haven't stepped up in the last couple of years, then it's a really bad mark on the conference. And the fact that USC is now in the top 25, which is kind of odd, I think it's sort of is, is they're trying to sort of give USC some value in their game against UCLA this week. Because if USC ends up as a Pac-12 South champion, you, you hope that they're a top 25 team, and now they've sort of been made that way. Chip Kelly, of course. Uh, thank you, Chip. Uh, three wins last year, four this year, and uh, going in a positive direction. Dan Guerrero, of course, uh, has retired. I think he's pushed out. He's got some health problems. He'll be out in June or May of this year. They're looking for a new athletic director. Hey, in 30 seconds, I know this is tough, uh, load management in the NBA. The fans pay 100 bucks a ticket, 200 bucks a ticket, and players who aren't hurt but are tired don't play. 
do the owners, does the league owe anything to these fans who, let's say, buy season tickets at 100 bucks a shot? Well, before the season started, I was on a conference call with Reggie Miller and Stan Van Gundy, and they both just cringed and lashed out at the word load management and said, yeah, it's a disservice to the fans. But on the other hand, it's proving to be a winning formula for a team that wants to go to a championship and thrive in the playoffs. And and I can see that um, LeBron James has played every game this season, I believe, and he's, he's, he's up there in minutes. So there's no load management on his plate. It's all Kawhi Leonard. And the fact that Leonard has been injured in the past, it worked in Toronto, he's injured again, and it's not just his, you know, his whatever has been bothering him, but now it's another knee injury. So he hasn't played in a while just because of, of injuries, and you sort of, you know, you understand it, but I don't think that they're doing it as much. I think it's just a Kawhi Leonard thing. I don't see it as a league-wide thing anymore like the, like the San Antonio Spurs used to do. They were the ones that made it popular with Tim Duncan and, 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 all, the, and all those guys, and they made it work as well. So I don't I don't think it's a thing for every city and every team, but it just happens to be a Kawhi Leonard story now that that's going on. And and as he continues to to get healthy and and come back, and you know he still hasn't played a game with Paul George, is that sort of works itself out? I think the the word load management will probably kind of disappear a little bit. They'll call it something <laughs> else. But uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's one of those red herrings that you just don't want the NBA to have to to deal with right now. But but they have to, and, it, and I think it'll eventually work itself out. Tom Holforth, as usual, great job right here on Believe in Sports Business. We'll definitely do this again. Thanks, thanks for having me, Fred. Tom Holforth, Los Angeles Times fine sports writer. I'm Fred. You're not. Email us sportsfred at aol.com. Mario, thank you for putting the show together. We'll see you around the corner right here on Believe and Sports Business Los Angeles. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.